What is up, everybody, and welcome into the All NBA Show, part of the All City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Manez, and I am joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Legs, a lot of good games. We're going to get to four of them from last night in the NBA, as well as a couple good ones coming on tonight. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. It's just, yeah, you're right. On a night with our day with that many games, um, you wish that you could see all of them start to finish because there was a lot more probably than we're going to get to today. But we did have some really good you know, powerhouse matchups and some great finishes. And I can't wait to get into it. And tonight might be even better with a really good TNT double header. We're going to preview that game as well, uh, as well as break down all of the games that we found interesting yesterday. But first, we're presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Legs. Let's start out with the Thunder versus the Lakers. The Lakers picked up their second win in a row against Oklahoma City. They're now, uh, they're now two and one against the Thunder. This game, uh, you know, on paper, you look at it and you think, okay, the better team is clearly the Thunder. They've been on a roll. The Lakers are reeling. A lot of people are calling for them to change their starting lineup. They have not, but yet they pick up the win. What did you see in this game? I think the first thing that jumped out just watching it from really the from start to finish was the Lakers level of intensity and the force they were playing with. Because we both know the regular season is not that important to the Lakers, but they still find a way to get up for the big games. And I think they looked at this as a big game. I mean, Oklahoma City yeah. is, is near the top of the Western Conference standings. They're a young up and coming team. They, they probably, you know, you would think would have a little bit more bounce and fresher legs typically. And I just thought the Lakers played perfectly to their personnel. They played their style. They played in the paint. They played on the glass. They played through their bigs. They played through their two best players. And then they got balance amongst the supporting cast. Like a lot of nights, even when LeBron and AD have those nights where they both yeah. are playing that hard and with that much intent, Adam, they, their supporting cast is like really hit or miss. You might have one other guy have a big night and then some guys struggle. They had four different guys in double figures, and it was like spread yeah. out. And they got contributions all over. Austin Reeves, Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell, like a bunch of different guys were contributing in addition to what they were getting out of LeBron and AD. And I just thought that they looked into it. And the Lakers don't always look that way. When they do, there's still something to be dealt with. And they, they just did a great job of, I thought, playing to their style, forcing Oklahoma City basically into a perimeter-based team. Yep. And that's why – and that last part there is why I made the headline what it was today. You know, asking about whether or not the Lakers have a blueprint. Because sometimes lesser teams just match up well with better teams. This year, OKC has been the better team. But what happened last night was that the Thunder took, and I would even say settled for, 49 three-point attempts. They averaged 34 on the season. Um, so to take 15 more than what you average, you know, that's an outlier. It makes you raise an eyebrow. And watching the game, they were sagging off of Giddy, as a lot of teams do, off of Dort and off of Kenrich Williams in ways I hadn't really seen other teams do. Not just, oh, we're giving a little space, run them, you know, hand up or whatever. There were times where they were just sitting, and LeBron James in particular, sitting in the paint and saying, nope, take that one. You have to take it. And so as a result, they end up shooting a lot of threes. Oklahoma City is at their best when they get into the teeth of the defense, into the paint, and then are kicking out. Uh, they weren't getting that far. They were not getting around the first line of defense in large part because there was so much help just sitting in the paint. And usually I think OKC could probably adjust to that. 
But at least I thought that the Lakers disrupted them. And it was very easy, I thought, defensively for the Lakers to disrupt them in the ways that they did last night. Yeah, and the Lakers actually played a ton of zone in the second half of this game. And, and they don't oh. – more than they normally do. And they actually have a decent zone. There's not a lot of zones in this league, I think, are that effective. The Lakers can be because they've got, they've got some length and size on yeah. the back line and they've got some athletic ability um, with their wings. Um, when they put some of those wings out there, they can get to guys – and I thought the zone was kind of made Oklahoma City a little bit more complacent in the shots they were settling for. Because because you against the zone in the NBA particularly, you can get a quick three anytime you want to. Um, and that's the shot that they're trying to dare you to take. And they took a lot of them. And, and like I said, 49 overall takes, 34 misses from the three-point right. line. You, know, you, you get a team to do that, it shows one that you're, you know, you're, you're at least in the area to contest and make some of those shots more than just a naked look. And then you're yeah. also preventing them from getting to the foul line, which they did a great job of. They only took 11 free throws in the game. You know, and you got guys like Jalen Williams, Shea Gilgis, Alexander. Right. Like, these are guys that on a given night, those two guys alone can usually get 15 to 20 free throws a lot of nights. They shot 11 as a team and yeah. 49 threes. That's a terrible balance. And that's what the Lakers relied on. And on the other end, they had, I think, 64 points in the paint to 44 for Oklahoma City. And we've seen this with the yeah. Lakers before against certain teams, Adam. Remember when they played Indiana uh, in the in the in-season tournament and they had like 80 points in the paint and they just refused to settle yep. for quick early three-point shots because that's just not who they are. Their personnel is not good enough to do right. that. And But some nights they do it. They settle if they're not in the right mindset. Last night they were intent. We're going to beat you up in the paint. We're going to – we're bigger. We're more physical. We're stronger. We're gonna we're gonna make you take perimeter shots, and we're not gonna settle for those. And it was a great formula for them to win. And this is why I'm concerned about Oklahoma City this year in the playoffs. You know, the playoffs are always gonna be: Do you have a weakness that another team can exploit? And I just look at their losses. I've mentioned this on the show before, but a lot of their losses come to bigger teams, um, the teams that tend to own the pain or own the rebounds or what have you. And last night, that was obviously the case. Being able to sag off now, guys like Isaiah Joe, O of six. You know, you need your shooters to show up, uh, and they didn't necessarily have that last night, so maybe there's a little luck involved there. But the other area where size really mattered, LeBron was targeting all of the wings and guards that were undersized, which is almost all of them. Shea Gilgis-Alexander doesn't get targeted a lot. LeBron was targeting him last game, just knowing he wasn't strong enough to handle him in the post or on drives where he could kind of put his hip or his shoulder into him and get to the rim. So I thought LeBron was very comfortable last night with his size advantage, and the Lakers as a whole were, were comfortable. And that's why I just look at the Thunder and say that's where they're vulnerable. And if they match up with a bigger team in the playoffs, it's not that they can't win. But it's that I don't know that they're going to be able to take away that. There's some things you can scheme for. Size, not always one you can scheme for. Yeah, and I thought the size also affected the Oklahoma City in the matchup with AD and Chet Holmgren. It, you know, Chet Holmgren yeah. is, is, has really, against anybody in the league that's bigger, he has held his own because he's got great timing on his contests and he's, he's wiry strong. I thought Anthony Davis just took it right to him. Like, he, he was – he was effectively on any pick and dive. He was rolling to the rim to try to catch something above the square and forcing Chet Holmgren to have to help on the pick and then you know backpedal back and try to get a hand up. And he got there late a couple of times. And I just thought Anthony Davis, he looked so much bigger than Chet Holmgren. And Anthony Davis doesn't always look that way because some nights he wants to play more as a face-up 18-foot ISO player. He he spent most of his time in the paint last night. And, and it was – 
it was, I think, telling the way that yeah. he was going into the body and going at Chet Holmgren, who, by his standards that he has set, had a very pedestrian night. I mean, nine points, eight boards, didn't really notice him a whole lot in the course of the game. One of the rare nights I've said that about Chet Holmgren all year, and the reason is because of Anthony Davis and the way that he played. Yeah. Uh, I thought Jared Vanderbilt also made some plays. So not necessarily yeah. a size guy, but just length, a more of a length guy. He made some important plays down the stretch. The only other note I had from this game was that Jalen Williams, again, I mean, I just love this dude. So I talk about him every time I can. 25 points. He was the one guy in Oklahoma City who I thought had a regular night. He wasn't off. He, he, and maybe part of this is in a game where physicality is a big piece. He's a big bodied guy. He wasn't bothered by the physicality. He held his own. So he was, I thought he played well in this game, even if everybody else on the Thunder was a little bit below their averages. Uh, very good point. And, and I thought, yeah, you're right. You know, he, he's, he's been great every night. Shea had decent stat line. He wasn't himself. I think we both agree on that. Nope. He just, he just did not have the, the same rhythm to his like isolation game. And he wasn't getting as much space. He wasn't getting to those spots in the middle area floor where he stops on a dime while the while the defender's backpedaling. Like he didn't have really many clean moments like that. He looked frustrated at one point. He, he hit a floater in a lane and he kind of looked exasperated, like looked up to the heavens. Like finally, it was kind of right. one of those nights for him. And it wasn't like I said, it wasn't like he didn't show up at all. He was nine for nineteen. Right. That's not a terrible night for an elite scorer. Uh, Twenty four point six assists, but it wasn't Shea Gilgis Alexander doing what he normally does, which is be the best player on the floor for important stretches. He just didn't get that opportunity. All right, so I give I give, I give all the, the credit in this one to the Lakers. I just thought they showed up in a I great mindset, and they had great balance and a lot of contributions up and down their roster, and their two best players set the tone. So give the Lakers credit. I, Lakers fans I know, and I just know this from being on you know social media, seeing the timeline. I know Lakers – fan calling for movement they want some different some changes made in the starting lineup they want to mix things up what do you make of who the lakers are playing right now where they're playing them do you have any notes or any thoughts about how you would like to see them try some things out they don't they don't have a ton of options i mean they really don't they play the same nine guys pretty much every night and and so okay let's say let's play around with this do they want to see Vanderbilt in the starting lineup and you put mm -hmm. Torian Prince in the bench? that's fine if you want to do that but they like Vanderbilt coming off the bench because defensively, they can sort of pick their matchup when he comes in. Like some guy might have a hot hand the first six minutes. They would like to bring Vanderbilt in, and now you have a guy that can come in and maybe affect somebody. Gives you more versatility defensively to do that. Torian Prince is great if he's making those corner threes. You know, he's one for five, had six shots, five over threes. He makes one. And so people, oh, we got to get him out of there. I think Austin Reeves should be starting, and he is. He should be starting for them. LeBron, AD. D'Angelo Russell, I mean, you only have one spot that you're going yeah. to change, and it would be that spot. So do you want to start Torian Prince? Do you want to start Hachimura? Do you want to start Vanderbilt? That's basically what it comes down to, and I, I just don't see why the, anybody thinks that's going to make some enormous difference because those guys, whoever starts and whoever comes off the bench in that slot, they're going to play the same minutes they're playing now for the most part. So I just don't think it matters um, who's in that spot at all to me. I, I think it's it's overblown. People tend to immediately want to grab at something for an immediate yeah. change to get better results. Some of it's just personnel driven. Just look at their roster. It is what it is. When they yeah. play hard and they play to their personnel, the Lakers are still a team that could basically handle just about anybody in the West or at least make it a really difficult series with any team in the West 
when they play that way. And that's, to me, the bigger problem. It's a mindset about how they're going to play, not so much about personnel changes in the starting lineup. I don't. When a team is 20 and 21, I don't know that there is one rotation move that changes everything and makes them a you know significantly better team. It can make an impact to change your identity. I will say that for me, in today's NBA, I've been on this for several years. I think perimeter containment, point of attack defense has been so underrated. And if you give me Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell as your starting backcourt, defensively, I just don't buy it. I, I just look at that and I say there's, there's a low ceiling defensively on what you can be in a playoff series when your point of attack defense is those two guys. So that's why I'm a little bit skeptical. All right, any other notes on this game or should we move on to the next one? Let's move on. We got too much to cover. Let's get to the next one. All right, let's get moving on to the next one. But first, we'll take our first break here and tell you about our presenting sponsor. Guys, the NBA is in full swing. If you want to get in on the action and spice things up, head on over to DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 instantly in bonus bets just for signing up and using that promo code. You can bet tonight. Nuggets 76ers is a pick em. Vegas is, uh, DraftKings is giving you equal odds on either side. So whichever side you are on that one, go ahead and throw your money down. Jokic plus 190 to get a triple-double. Joel Embiid's points at 32.5. Those are some tasty bets right there. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code ALLNBA. New customers bet $5, get 200 instantly, win or lose. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, back here at segment two on the All-NBA Show. Throw us a like if you're enjoying the show. Uh, the Nets and the Heat. Legs, we just talked yesterday. Every game. Every game's 130 to 135. There's no defense in the NBA. These teams are running up the score, shooting threes. Well, we got a change of pace game last night. An overtime game where neither team reached 100 points. Go figure. This one went to overtime, and it was just a grind out all the way through. 96-95 Nets. What did you see in this one? Well, first, if you if you missed it, and you, you know you're listening to what Adam just said, keep it in mind that the Miami Heat scored 31 points in the first half, and they won this game. So <laughs> this will this will kind of tell you how this went. Look, and yeah, yeah some of it was these both of these teams. You you know you don't you don't hold teams to 31 points, or you know and maybe some nights you're holding them to it. Some nights it's just their ineptitude offensively. I yeah. think it's a combination of both when it's that bad. But I did they were playing hard. Offense wasn't great. They combined these two teams for 20 for 86 from the three-point line for the game. Oh. Okay, so this, this this was a a good old-fashioned Eastern Conference sort of brawl slugfest. Miami 31 at the half, and you're going, well, how in the world are they going to find a way when they looked like they had dead legs? They just didn't look like anybody really had any kind of rhythm. How do you get back in the game? How do you win the game? Really, it was Tyler Hero's third quarter. Tyler Hero comes out of the locker room and he has such bounce in his legs, um, gets a couple threes to go early, and then he had some floaters. And he had the whole bag of tricks yeah. working in the third quarter to get them into a one-possession game down the stretch. Okay, so now let's just talk about kind of how this game is closed out. One of the things that stood out to me, Adam, a lot, I'll start with the Nets. I've talked about Mikhail Bridges, how much I love Mikhail Bridges. 
but Mikael Bridges can't be your best offensive player and you're a team that's really playing for anything important. He just isn't on that level. And I thought it was telling last night, and I know Cam Thomas is, is a massive bucket getter, right? The guy can flat out score. There were stretches in this game in the fourth quarter when you're in a one possession game either way. I mean, it's tight. Every single trip matters. And they were going to Cam Thomas over and over and over with Mikhail Bridges on the court. And it told me a lot. And it kind of backs yeah. up my point about that. I wish Mikhail Bridges was the third best player on just about any of the top six, eight teams in this league. You you got a great chance to win a championship if that's the case. But Cam Thomas shot them out of the game. I mean, and look, it happens with guys some nights like that. You, you, you know, that's what they're on the floor to do. They've never seen one they didn't like. They always think they're hot. They always think they're open. And I thought his shot selection and just in general, the way he played offensively did not give the Nets a chance to close out this game. And he was doing it while Mikhail Bridges was on the floor with them. So it was kind of a strange thing and a strange way for them to end this game. But it really allowed Miami to, to steal a game on a night in which they flat out just did not have it offensively. Eric Spolster right. and the Heat will take this any night of the week because I'm telling you right now, Eric Spolster at halftime is not thinking that he can win this game. They just didn't look like they had any energy and nobody was in rhythm. And you're digging out of a double-digit deficit uh, on the road. I don't think Spolster, I thought they had a chance. Tyler Hero gave them life, and then they were smarter and better in the big moments and big possessions down the stretch. I want to go to Miami in just one second, but I want to tie a bow on Brooklyn Nets real quick, which is to say that 20 shots for Cam Thomas and 23 for Mikael Bridges, that's 43 shots out of 99. Nearly half of the shots came from those two guys. And I think when you look at it, I'm, I'm with you. Cam Thomas, man, he takes some wild shots, man. That guy, the, the shot he had to try to win the game in regulation was just, I mean, he missed the rim. He hit the far side of the backboard. Um, and that was the shot he chose. He kind of dribbled the air out, waiting for the clock to wind down, and then took that one. But I just look at it and I go, where should they be going with their offense? I think maybe Spencer Dinwiddie, ball in his hands a little bit more, try to give him more freedom. But it just seems like they don't have guys that they try. Maybe they've wrongfully segued into this team that plays through Cam Thomas and Mikhail Bridges as much as they do. Because 20 shots is a lot for anybody. But for both of them to get 20 shots and everybody else to be around 5-6, that just tells me the shot profile is off. I think that's a great point. I also agree with your point about Spencer Dinwiddie. He only played 20 minutes in the game. And, and look, Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy that absolutely you know can run a team and deliver the ball, and he can score on his own if, if, if that's what it calls for in a, in a given situation. They actually had Cam Thomas like handling the ball a lot, bringing the ball yeah. up the floor a lot to initiate it. And you're running a risk then that no one else is going to touch it if that's the case. Because, look, there are nights, there's no doubt, when he gets rolling, he, he can fill it up when he gets hot just about as well as anyone in this entire league. That's how good of a scorer he is. But when you're asking him to, to sort of bring it up, read situations, and, and make the best play, that's not, that's not a winning formula offensively. And I just thought that no. the Nets, you know, completely bogged down 19 points in the fourth quarter. Um, no. this, 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 that was their own undoing. And Miami decided, hey, if you're going to let us stick around, we're going to go ahead and get one. And they yeah. did. I, I thought, I, like I said earlier, I thought Tyler Hero was sensational. Jimmy Butler basically controlled the game on the big moments from the foul line. He just repeatedly 
getting to the mid-range, up fakes, getting guys to jump, jumping into them, coming to a jump stop at the basket on a drive, bump, pump faking, getting guys to bite, and then leaning into them. He's as good as anybody in the league at that. Uh, he goes 15 for 16 from the line. So it was really a two-man show offensively for the most part yep. um, in Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler. And and because they were playing the Nets, they were able to get away with it. Just about any other team probably outside of the Pistons sure. and the Wizards in the Eastern yeah. Conference, if the Heat play the way that they did last night offensively, they lose the game. And Brooklyn, yep. I, I thought, can help them. But, hey, sometimes you got to win games like that, Adam, in, in this league. And, and it, it reminds you of how tough the Heat are. And, and why that they probably haven't gotten enough attention this year as somebody that really is in the mix in the Eastern Conference. I, I mean, I have a feeling if the season goes the way it's been going, I'm going to be picking, I'm going to be pretty bold on the heat. I'm not letting them sneak up on me like they did last year. Because is there a team legs in the NBA more comfortable in a 96-95 game than the Miami? Even this one as I'm watching it, because this was another one where I watched after the game was over. I go back and, and, I'm, and I'm watching it. So I know the outcome, and it was another one of those games where you're like, okay, so the Heat are going to win this thing. They're going to pull this one out. And even down to the stretch, you talk about Brooklyn. Miami was having a hard time scoring. Tyler, Tyler Hero did hit some big-time shots in key moments. He came up real clutch. We'll talk about him in a second. But the last play... Miami, Jimmy Butler gets the ball and he drives uh, left. He drives down the left uh, from the wing. And Dennis Smith Jr. just reaches in and fouls him. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah. Miami's not scoring. Don't give them free throws. Make them make a jumper. And if you and you got to tip your cap. Jimmy did what he did, though, which is put pressure on you and, and made him think twice and he fouled him. But my that's just my thought with this Miami Heat team is that they seem to know, like, okay, we didn't score on our end. We're definitely getting a stop now. And that's what that overtime was. They're down five, and they just said, they're not scoring again. Whatever happens, we're just going to hold our own, and you're going to have to beat us by getting stops. Yeah, as soon as um, overtime starts, Brooklyn comes out, they get five points immediately to jump Real up. Our boy with the three, and he, you know, he's kind of gesturing to the crowd. The place erupts, it, and it looks like, based on the way the night went, yeah. you're kind of like, wow, how's Miami even going to get five points here in the rest of yep. overtime? Like, that's that's a big deficit. Um, and yet, you're right. They never, they never, you never feel like when you watch the Heat, you never feel like they're 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 out of it, no matter how they're playing. Um, it's and it's always a testament to Spolstra. It's a testament to just the collectively the group. I think Jimmy Butler's leadership goes a long way with that too, because he just keeps coming at you even on nights that he doesn't play well offensively or shoot well. He's still a problem if the game is close because of his ability to draw fouls, his ability to make mid range shots. Uh, and so they, you know, look, they didn't panic, uh, and and they come back. And, and Tyler Hero, I thought, you know, was the guy really again hits a huge three down five to cut it to two with a minute and a half left. You know, he misses that shot, and Brooklyn secures that rebound. I don't think totally. Miami wins the game, right? That's that's the one. And and you could always find those those shots that aren't necessarily in the last thirty seconds of the game. You're two minutes out. In, a, in one of those games, that's a five-point game, a seven-point game, and somebody delivers with a three, you're like, man, if that doesn't go in, it's it's lights out. And I, Miami might even at that point be like, yeah, Brooklyn scores one more time, the game's over. Hero hits the three, it's a two-point game. Now they're digging in again defensively, like, okay, we're right we're right there again. And they're able yeah. to make the plays down the stretch. And, and, uh, and Jimmy Butler with the big free throws at the end of the game to win it. So they didn't have Tyler Hero last year, and they make a run to the finals. How does he change their gate, their team for better and for worse? Biggest thing he gives them is a, first of all, another 
guy that you can trust with the ball in his hands to yeah. handle the ball in traffic on the perimeter and you trust him and he's going to escape and get out of a dicey situation. And, and if that means moving it to the other side of the floor, he'll hold on to it long enough to do that with his dribble, or he's creative enough to come off snake dribble, get in a gap and, and get down into the lane and, and shoot a little floater or mid range shot. If that's what it takes. So to have another guy, that's what they really miss not having him. Who is going to be a threat as a ball handler? Because that's that's really if you looked at their team, it wasn't going to be Kyle Lowry. I mean, you know, he was he, you know his age and injury uncertainty. You never know with Kyle Lowry at this stage of his career what you're going to get other than effort. You had Jimmy Butler. Beyond that, you had guys that just you know really catch and shoot three point shooters mainly. Nobody yeah. that can really take the basketball and and have a counter to good defense and keeping his dribble alive to get to his other, the other side of the floor and and keep the keep the offensive flow moving on that possession. That's really what Tyler Hero does for them. And he's a, he's a guy that I think for the most part does like the big moment. He's not oh, going to sure. he's not going to shy away from that. He likes those spots uh, with the ball in his hands. You feel confident when Tyler Hero has it in an important moment. So that's he gives them a lot of confidence. And mainly he gives them another ball handler that can that can handle the ball against good defensive players. They lost some of their out offensive output, you know, Max Struess, you know, they've, they've lost some of their guys, Vincent, but so I wonder if he makes up for just what they lost, but I also wonder if, you know, you're going to have to play Boston in the playoffs. You're going to have to play Milwaukee. Is Tyler hero going to be a mark against those types of guys, the Jason Tatums and the, and, and, and those types, is he going to weigh them down from what they did defensively last year? That's fair. I think he, you know, that is definitely a place that you go to target and look, Boston, has three different guys on the well, four if you count Derek White. But right. really, yep. when I'm talking about just winning flat out, winning a one on one with Tatum Brown and then Drew Holiday, he's going to do it differently than Tatum and Brown. He's not going to, you know, put you to sleep with it with you know four or five crossovers and go to a step back or blow by you. He's going to just basically turn his back and muscle you into the paint. So they've got multiple guys that can attack a guy like Tyler Hero defensively, but Miami has also had a lot of success over the years playing zone against the Boston Celtics. Man, and one of their biggest issues Boston has had against them, they do not do a very good job of putting people in the two spots against the zone you have to, which is middle of the foul line area and then short baseline. Those are the two places the ball has to go against the zone defense. Most teams don't do a very good job of it because they don't practice zone offense enough. Right. And, and Eric Spolster has taken advantage of that against Boston in particular to protect guys like Tyler Hero, to protect Duncan Robinson, to protect them. You go zone for longer stretches, and it's been effective against the Celtics in the past. If we get that series, Miami versus Boston, we might get both teams going zone, which would be very interesting. I don't know if we've seen a series where both teams, that's their primary defensive weapon on their best lineups, but we might get it there. The last note I have on Miami is that it seems like this year, they have been going to Bam Adebayo more for offensive creation, not just as the fulcrum. I mean, they'll play through him at the elbows and run off of him, but they'll give him ISO touches. And I thought last night, I mean, he's had some very big games in the last two weeks or so where they've gone to him in clutch situations and he's come up big. I thought last night was one where you saw that that's a work in progress. He had some really ugly possessions late in the fourth quarter and overtime where they went to him to create. The double would come and he wouldn't read it. 
or the double would come late. He wastes too much time and he finds himself falling away on the baseline. So I just, that was my note is it seems like they, they see that they are deficient offensively and Bam is the guy they look to, to say, okay, can we raise his ability up a little bit so we could play through him more as a scorer? Yeah, and that's what when when Bam started to sort of come into his own, right, and became you know an an All Star caliber player. It was really that. That's what we were noticing. We always knew he played hard. He he always yeah. was a, a really good, very versatile defensive player for a big. Smart versatile. But and yeah. his energy was there. But what really started to we started to notice was, man, it's what a luxury to have a guy as your center that can get it off the glass, bring it up, and he can actually initiate your offense. He's gonna make good decisions. So you're right. But I think it's kind of peaked out. So it, it it's not going to continue to evolve. It, you know, I think we kind of know what Bam Adebayo is. And look, last night he had a miserable offensive night. But but one of the reasons that the Heat are who they are, guy has a terrible offensive night. He goes and gets twenty rebounds. You know, and and right. had I don't know countless number of of contests at the rim on some of these drives by Bridges or Cam Thomas that are trying to get there and finish. And Bam is back there. You know, retreating from the three-point line all the way to the rim to get a contest on guys and bothering people and altering it and also collects 18 defensive rebounds. You know, so that's why you love the Heat. That's why you love a guy like Bam. He had a bad night, but he was still able to affect the game with his energy and his defense and his rebounding. Well, Legs, that nobody scored 100 in that game, so let's go to another game where nobody scored 100. The Magic get the win in the Garden, 98-94. to no overtime in this game, so this game was actually a better scoring game than the last one. Uh, but this one, no Jalen Brunson. The Wagner brothers were out for Orlando, so it was a little bit of a shorthanded uh, game. My big note from this one, Jalen Brunson might be, if you tiered off who's most important to their team's success, Jalen Brunson might be the outlier name. Like you say, Jokic, you know, Embiid, you go to the big names. Jalen Brunson's a great player. But the Knicks have no idea what to do in the clutch when he's not on the court. They had 16 points in the fourth quarter. They should have won this game, but only got outscored 25-16 to 16 in the fourth quarter. And it was kind of uglier than that. Down the stretch, you get a lot of Julius Randle um, and, and just weren't getting uh, shots. When on the other end, Paolo Bancaro, the Magic are getting their guys back. You got Wendell Carter was back. You got Markel Fultz playing. Jonathan Isaac has been back for two games now. They're starting to look like the team they were earlier in the season, a team that has a lot of these different guys, and they just looked fresher, but they also not a team that has been great in the clutch this year. Paolo Bancaro was clutch, and the Knicks just couldn't get a clean possession the last five minutes. Well, I love your point about Brunson because it's so true. Like, you know, and the Knicks, the Knicks, you know, look, they're 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 legit. I mean, they're 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 gonna be a solid playoff team. They're gonna be, I think, give anybody fits in a seven-game series. When you look at all the other teams that we would describe in that way, typically all of them have a second guy that can mm, go yeah. be a dominant offensive force with the ball in his hands, like right yeah. off the bat. and Go get a 35-40 point game on a given night and also have the ball most of the game, not just somebody you're throwing a ball to in a post or whatever. Right. And they don't. They don't because the next guy you're talking about is Julius Randle. And that's not yep. – Julius Randle's not going to be able to do that. He can, he can have a big scoring night. He's not going to beat you in all the ways you have to as a dominant offensive force controlling the ball. Even if Jokic goes down, we saw what Jamal Murray's capable of in the bubble. You know what Jamal Murray could do on a night like that. If he had to go dial it up and try to go get 35-40 right. to keep you in a game and also be running the team, he could do something like that. Celtics have multiple guys like that. Phoenix does. The Lakers do. Like – 
everybody's got him. The Knicks don't. And yeah. so you see on a night, even when Orlando is shorthanded, you think this might be a game, you know, playing at home, maybe you can get by with those two guys out, particularly Franz Wagner, because he, he handles the ball more than anybody on that team. Right. And instead, they, you know, end up with 94 points because they just don't have a way. They have no one that is that big of a threat. And it was yeah. pretty obvious. Just looking at the box score, I didn't get to catch a lot of this game. But I think that's a very, you know, good way to put it, the way you sum them up and why they've got problems. If Jalen Brunson's not 100% going into a playoff series, the Knicks are in big trouble. He's missed a couple now, so we'll see when he comes back. It's a shin, I believe a shin injury, so hopefully not too long. But the other, the story for me for this game is the other side. The Orlando Magic have been shorthanded for, for most of the season with different injuries. Of course, Jonathan Isaac, a guy that's been in and out for his whole career, I love that dude. He is such an impressive defensive player. I mean, he's never healthy, but you watch him guard. I mean, Julius Randle, 15 points on 18 shots last night. One reason for that was that the minutes Jonathan Isaac uh, stuck on him and just did a great job. But they have a lot of guys between their bench, Isaac, Wendell Carter, Carter Jr., Markel Fultz, who was good in key moments in the fourth quarter, Cole Anthony, Joe Ingles. That's five guys, and I like all of them. And by the way, they didn't even have Mo Wagner or Franz Wagner, which makes their bench even more uh, deep. So I think this Magic team has fallen a little bit in the standings over the last month. They've had some injuries. They've had a, t- a condensed schedule. But I look at them and I go, they have a lot of guys that I just like. And while they're not a coherent team and that they cover all bases, they do have waves to throw at you. So much so that there are rumors now that Wendell Carter and Markel Fultz are being shopped in the trade market. So do you agree with me that they have, that they run 10, 11, 12 deep of players that you go, oh, that's interesting, and that they can afford to move on from some of their money, their future money in Fultz and Wendell Carter? Definitely, and they definitely can afford to move on from those guys. And I actually think for some, for a lot of teams, Wendell Carter might be more interesting than Markel Fultz is. I, I just think on this team, Fultz becomes expendable because you have five different guards or more yeah. that you play – that are all sort of similar. None of them are natural lead guards. None of them are natural off guards. They're all sort of this hybrid type of guy that, you know, and that's why on a given night, you know, probably three of those guys will get double figures. And, but it might be a different three every night because they're all going to play 20 plus minutes. None of them are fall into either category. And so I think when you look at faults and you look at what else they have, he becomes expendable. To them and Wendell Carter with 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 some of the bigs that they have and the minutes that are gobbled up by some of the bigs that they have, it's very difficult for Wendell Carter to get consistent minutes. But I think he fits in today's NBA with his ability to step out, shoot the basketball. Um, I think Wendell Carter might be more attractive even on the on the marketplace than Markel Fultz is going to be. Mm-hmm. But there's no doubt they've got a plethora of depth at both of those things. So maybe they find a piece out there that they think fits better with what they have to sort of elevate themselves rather than just being a really interesting team that's most likely going to be a play-in or first-round loser in five games to one of those top teams. Find a piece that makes them more interesting because they've got a bunch of guys, I think, that are very similar in what they do, and they're, they're going to probably move on from a couple of them. I think shooting – um is a big piece for them like they need to add some spacing around you know i wonder if a guy like uh like a zach levine would be interesting there i mean i'm just thinking of this off the top of my head is that a guy that you would be intrigued if you added him to a bancaro suggs wagner core definitely but i don't think they have anything 
that the mm-hmm. Bulls will be interested in to that level for a guy yeah. like Zach Levine. I, I don't think there's you – know, that's, that's not what we're talking about yet. There's no doubt. I would love to see them get another scoring wing with more length that can shoot the basketball. That That's yeah. probably what they should be targeting. Um, and that would be interesting if you added another elite level, like a 20-point scorer in this league that's on the wing and shoots more threes at a higher rate. That would be very interesting then to go with Wagner and Boncaro and what they already have. Last game we're going to get to in depth, New Orleans and Dallas. Dallas gets the win. These two teams played two games in a row. One of them, New Orleans set you know their core guys, Zion, Brandon Ingram, and they picked up the win over Dallas. And this one, they played their guys and they take a loss. Dallas gets the win 125 to 120. And the story is two 40-point scores. Kyrie, not Luka, who is still out, but Tim Hardaway, who goes 9 of 15 from three. So what stood out to you about this one? A uh, couple things. Hardaway is sensational, and he's been on a, he's been red hot lately. So you know, he him giving them that that not obviously he's not gonna be doing scoring 40 points when Luca comes back, but to be a guy that has got that kind of firepower to go alongside the two of them, that's why Dallas, you know, continues to be so interesting. Kyrie was sensational. He reminds you that when he's playing like this. And it's just his ball, his show. He's yeah. got – you'll rarely find, Adam, on a given night, any player in this league score as many different ways as Kyrie Irving scored in this game. He had catch-and-shoot threes. He had threes off of just ball screen coming off defender's back, pull it up. He, he had threes where he comes off, they play it right. He is able to split it, circle back around, and then shoot a step-back three. So it's all done off the dribble. He has – he had mid-range floaters. Of course, he's one of the best finishing small guards this league's ever seen. So he had he had elite-level finishes, switching hands at the rim. He got to the line when he needed to. He's just so electrifying and so talented offensively. It's so fun to watch him when he's playing the way that he was last night. You know, Maxie, Maxie Kleber's back now. He didn't play a lot last night, but he, he has a presence, man, about him. He's so smart. He comes up with timely plays. Offensive rebounding was a big part of this game down the stretch. Dallas getting themselves some second chances when they had to have it. Um, I just thought this was a game in which you saw uh, the level that Kyrie Irving can still play at when he needs to play at it. And it makes you think, does anybody really want to play a team with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving in a seven-game series? And, And then just give me one other guy that can space the floor and knock down threes at a high rate. And that's what Hardaway is giving them right now. And they've got more guys to do it too, but Hardaway is giving them that at an elite level right now. It's a super entertaining game that Dallas was down in the fourth quarter, made their run basically from the three-point line. Uh, Kyrie and a couple other guys uh, chipping in. Green hit a huge one. Grant Williams hit a big one. Um, and they were able to get the lead and then hold on to it late. And also one, one last point on this. Free throw shooting for New Orleans and Zion Williamson. I wonder if this is going to continue to be an issue yeah. for them, right? You're talking about a guy that's like in the 60s. And late in the game, Dallas yeah. is Dallas has a two-point lead. And they get the ball into Zion. New Orleans gets the ball into Zion from a side out of bounds. And Moxie Kleber runs out of fouls him right away, grabs him. And talking about inside of 30 seconds to play, you're sending a guy to the line down two who's an all-star, that's how much faith Dallas had that he would miss one of those two free throws, and he did. He did, and he um, did, yep. And, it's, and it, was, it was an interesting strategy for a star player. And it's just something that made me think, like, wow, is this something that teams might do more often on Zion if you get into that situation? 
The other thing I think about with this one, I mean, this one went the way you would expect with, if you just looked at these two teams, Dallas loves to shoot the three. Well, they outscored the Pels 54 to 21 from three. The Pels live in the paint. They outscored the Mavs 60 to 34 in the paint. So there was a paint versus threes matchup that went the way you would expect. But when I, I, th I don't think these teams will match up in a playoffs just because one of them would have to climb to the four, the other to the five. I don't think that's going to happen. But the same way we talked about the Thunder and Lakers are interesting in that one team is clearly better, but it just might be a bad matchup. Valanchunas minus 22 in this game. And unlike Anthony Davis, he's not a big that they play through enough to warrant him playing there. And then he's going to have to be out in the perimeter guarding spread pick and roll with five shooters. And that's obviously not something he's suited to do. You don't want to do Zion in that spot either. I think he's also bad. So that's one where I look at and I say, the Pels are a big team that have a big front court that's a little bit slow, but they pound you inside. Dallas loves to go against that type. And I just wonder if this is one of those ones where Dallas likes this matchup against their slower bigs. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly when you have when you have a couple of guys that are this good and getting what they want when they come off a ball screen and getting any sort of switch or any sort of big that's not a proper position or slow footed, they're going to destroy them. So yeah, I think that 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 probably is true about them. And I, I you know, Dallas in this game is pretty high scoring game, but I was actually really impressed also with Dallas's scrappiness defensively when they had to have it to dig back in this game. And some of it was Kyrie Irving. And look, you're never going to hear me laud Kyrie Irving's defense because it's it's sort of spotty. He picks and chooses. He had some really big plays in this game in the fourth quarter defensively. A strip when it was a three-on-one break and he's the only guy back and he gets a clean strip and a steal yeah. and leads to something going the other way. He had a couple really good uh, possessions where he stayed in front of C.J. McCollum and, and timed his contest perfectly to just enough to where you could tell it affected C.J. McCollum's release on a jump shot. Uh, Kleba, Lively, Green, these guys were battling Grant Williams. They were scrapping in the paint, man, to come up with loose balls when they had to have it to give themselves a chance for their offense you know, to have some shot making where they could take control of this game. I was really impressed with the way Dallas played because New Orleans has been playing great you know, for, for quite a stretch now. And they had right. everybody out there, and they played well offensively, and it still wasn't enough to beat Dallas without Luka. I thought that was a yeah. big statement for Dallas last night. It definitely was. Well, that was the games last night. We're not going to get to Golden State. They play Wednesday against Utah. Well, I'm guessing on Thursday's show, we'll start to talk about Draymond Green and the Warriors. Yeah. We've been waiting for his return. He returned last night. But instead, we're going to turn our attention now to tonight because there are two marquee matchups. There's actually three games tonight, two of them on TNT, one of them on League Pass, and all three of them are great. But we're going to start with the first game, which is the Nuggets at the 76ers. The Nuggets have listed their entire starting lineup as questionable for tonight, although I expect them to play, but I think it's kind of funny. To, a little troll job, perhaps. Um, but this one, to me, is a big matchup for a number of reasons. One, Jokic and Bede, always a big story to see how these guys go head-to-head. -head. But it's also a big matchup now because you have a Murray Maxi piece of this, Kentucky point guards. You know, it becomes a duo versus duo matchup for the first time that I can remember kind of feeling that way. And also just a measuring stick game against two teams that Nuggets 28 and 13, 76ers 25 and 13. So what are you looking for in this game? And, and, and are you as excited as I am for it? Yeah, I, I am excited about it. And, and I'm glad Embiid made it back in time for this. In his first game back, he had a pretty easy 41. <laughs> yeah, and he had what is it now, he's 16 straight 30 and 10s. I mean, yeah. the, dude, the dude's production and, and we, you know, 
he had not just become, I think, the front runner for MVP when he got hurt. I think he was like had a comfortable gap between yeah. himself and anybody else. And, and we, we've talked about there being more guys in the mix right now, maybe that could get a vote. But Embiid was firmly in control. And it was going to take either a long-term injury that Sixers, for whatever reason, just start not playing well and losing games, right? Or he didn't play well for a stretch. I don't see any three of those things happening except for maybe the injury thing because you're worried about this knee and the swelling. Comes back, gets one under his belt. I'm glad he got that game in and and it looks like he's going to play in this game. So clearly, that's what you want to see is the matchup and the difference in styles between the two players because – Jokic most likely is not going to match Embiid's point production. Embiid has to do that for Philadelphia to win. He just has to. They don't have enough other guys to generate the offense, and the ball doesn't move in that way. So he's probably going to get you know north of 30, probably north of 35 in this game. He might even out-rebound Nikola Jokic. Maybe not. They're really close. The key is – what Jokic does in the way he is orchestrating their offensive possessions and how important he is to what they're doing and the flow and movement and how he can beat you for four or five minutes without shooting the ball. That's something that that's not really Embiid's strength. He's gotten better at it. So I'm looking at these two guys contrast contrasting in styles and how they dominate the game differently and how it affects their team. These are two teams that, you know, listen, Nuggets – have a great shot to get to the finals or repeat. There's no doubt. They're on a very short list of teams that can win the whole thing. I don't know if you believe Philly could. We talked yesterday about teams that you'd be shocked if they won it all, and, and you, we didn't put Philly in that category. Or you didn't put you, Philly in that you, category. Hold on. You didn't put Philly in that and category. I, I, and I said did. I still kind of would be. I, I think I still yeah. would be surprised if yeah. Philly made it through Milwaukee and Boston and got through both of those teams. But – and beat and Maxi, man, they give you a chance that you know that maybe where is where it ends up. So to see these two teams uh, at full strength with with the two dominant bigs in this game going head to head, what more can you ask for, man? I'm just so glad Embiid made it back in time for this game. This will also be a matchup between two of the best five man lineups that you're going to see in the NBA. Denver's, which we know has been this way now for a couple of years, with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Gordon Pope and uh, Michael Porter. That's a heck of a five-man lineup. They have a plus 16.5 net rating in the most minutes of any five-man lineup, 459. So that's a really good lineup. But Philadelphia has both their starting lineup as well as the staggered one that features Tobias Harris, DeAnthony Melton, and Nick Batum that uh, has been absolutely wrecking. So I like it because, like I said, there's a head-to-head matchup. There's a duos matchup. And there's also a five-man lineup matchup. So I think that that's, that's why I'm so excited for this one. Do you have a prediction for this game? Let's assume everybody goes and that this Nuggets starters being questionable is all a ruse. Do you, uh, how do you see this game going? Oh, man, it's tough one to pick. It's tough to pick a winner when two teams, I think, are like, you know, on this tier. Who knows? I'll go with Philly because they're at home. And I think that I think this is an important game for Philadelphia. Um, and how they're going to view themselves going forward and how we view them. I think it's an important game. I think Tobias Harris is my X factor for the game. Um, I kind of feel comfortable now with what I'm getting at and beating Maxi pretty much every night. Harris is the guy that can fluctuate. But at the end of the day, he's, he gets maligned a lot when they don't play well or they lose or he has a bad night. It's amazing 
the way criticism gets heaped on Tobias Harris. You look up, this guy's had nine years in the league, nine, that he has averaged 17 or more points a game. I mean, this wow. guy's been doing this for a long time. I didn't know that. And he shoots, wow. he shoots like around, you know, anywhere from 47 to 51% basically every year. So he does it efficiently. He is just had some moments where he did not play well in the spotlight game, whether it was a regular season game or it was a big spot in a playoff series. So that's why I think the criticism goes too far the other way when he doesn't play well or he's just average. I'm looking at Tobias Harris in this game too. And, and let's see if, you know, we're not, we don't have a show tomorrow, but we maybe will touch on this game on Thursday because we're not going to get a chance to comment on it tomorrow. I'm curious to see the impact that he has because when Tobias Harris is aggressive and getting touches early in the clock and he's like in rhythm and confident, that's when Philly looks like a team that can legitimately make a run all the way to the finals. And so I'm looking at Tobias Harris in this game and his matchup with, with Aaron Gordon to a large extent. Yeah. Last year, if you remember, the Nuggets were comfortably in the lead, I think up 15 at half, 15 halfway through the third quarter. They switched um pj tucker onto Jokic and used Jokic and used joel Embiid on aaron gordon and that they made a huge run in the final 14 minutes of that game to take over and to, and to get the win they don't really have an option there you know they don't have a guy i don't think they're not going to put batum they're not going to put Ubre or any but tobias harris any of those guys i don't think can handle Jokic the way pj tucker is just used to going up against bigger bodies so i'm curious to see if uh you know how this game unfolds similar or different from last year's game the other game that's oh by the way denver plays at philadelphia today and then on friday at boston denver has been it's weird to say under the radar a little bit murray was hurt for half the year this that you get those two games if you win both of those i think denver gets front page treatment again if you win both of those in the two east coast trip um the other game on tnt tonight the thunder are at the clippers so the thunder have the back-to-back in la matchup the Clippers, I think this is a great matchup. These two teams are always going to be linked together because of that Paul George, Shea Gildas Alexander trade. I think we're always going to think of them, you know, connected at least during this era. But I love this matchup too because this is another one that you could see being a playoff first round or second round matchup. So what do you expect from this one? Yeah, this is a great three game slate, man. I'm interested in all three of these games. So I will be, I'll be watching all of these start to finish. Um, you know, get the DVR out because the Kings, Suns, Thunder Clippers are going to overlap each other yep. uh, and, and even the Sixers a little bit So because of these start times. But I'm just glad on a night with only three that you don't have a couple of duds. These All three yep. of these should be great. Look, the clip, for me, it's 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 really about the Clippers. I, I know what the Thunder are. I know exactly who they are. I don't know that the Thunder are ready to make the leap this year to where you could envision them in the conference finals or finals. I really like their team. I think they need a little bit more seasoning and they might even need to add a little bit of depth to their bench. Uh, but I know what they are. The, Cl- the Clippers are the team that right now, the way they've played over the last month, if they put together a super clean game against Oklahoma City and Kawhi and Paul George are dominant and their defense shows up at different times in the game, you know, and they handle this. I think that you, what you said about Denver and their wins, I think this is also one of those games for the Clippers, man, depending on how they handle Oklahoma City. Uh, and, and being that there's not a lot of other games to watch, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game. Um, I'm really interest, more interested in watching the Clippers in this game, I think, even than Oklahoma City, because I need to see if I'm really going to get to that point where I believe in the Clippers enough to think that, wow, 
this team might end up winning a championship this year. The talent is there, but it hasn't been there every single night. But, man, are they dangerous. So I'm looking at that, just these matchups, man. Shea against their guard play. How, how are they going to guard Kawhi Leonard? What impact does Chet have in a game like this? I'm, I'm fascinated in all of it. I want to see J-Dub versus James Harden. I've compared those two guys to each other, so I'm kind of curious to see the uh, the remix version going up against the original. And then lastly, the Kings at the Suns. I was just looking at the Kings' schedule. They don't have an impressive win. Really, if you go back all the way until December 22nd when they beat the Suns, and even then I'm not sure how impressive of a win right now beating the Suns is, uh, maybe you have to go all the way back to December 14th where they beat Oklahoma City. So they haven't, they've been beating up some, some bad teams, losing to the good ones. Tonight is a perfect matchup for them to take on the Phoenix Suns, who are somewhat at this moment in between a good and bad team. And you could say the same thing about the Suns. This would be a good win for them to get against uh, Sacramento. So um, is there anything you have your eye on in this game? Yeah, look, you, you said it about Sac. They're 500 over the last month, basically. Yeah. You know, and and this you know this is a team that's got on certain nights, man. When they get humming, they look unstoppable offensively, and they're seven and seven in their last fourteen games. So, this is one of those games. I think, yeah. Again, I'm I'm looking at Phoenix more so in this game than Sacramento. Okay. Phoenix and the Clippers to me are the two teams that you just are the absolute. I mean, they don't calling them wild cards. Adam doesn't do it justice to how <laughs> how much they could transform themselves into teams that you're really looking at, right, as as, yeah. as maybe potentially unseating Denver in the Western Conference. I'm looking at Phoenix every single night they play with those three guys, and I'm trying to find the rhythm and the flow. I'm looking at their role players. Do they have enough guys that can knock down three-point shots consistently playing off of those three guys? Are they good enough defensively? This is a good game to see that against a team that plays super up-tempo, high pace, pressuring you up the floor. Does Phoenix have what it takes? defensively to play with a team like that because that's the, I think the biggest question mark about the Suns. So that's what I'm looking for in this one. And the other thing about it right now, the Kings are in the five seed. They've kind of been there all year. The Suns are in the eight seed. They've been down in that play in zone all year, but only two games separate them. So this is one of those ones where the Suns and I know, look, teams are going to rise. Teams are going to fall. We're, we can't cup, watch the standings every single game. But I do think there'd be a psychological boost to the Suns to be out of the play in, even if it's just temporarily just to kind of get your head above water for a second and say, of all the things, guys in and out of the lineup, you know, some disappointing losses, of everything, if the Suns can get to a five or six seed by the weekend, right around the halfway point, I just think psychologically it would provide you a little bit of a boost to say, all right, from here on out, we just have to stay around this zone and we're going to be okay. Do you, do you agree with that? Or do teams have these sort of psychological benefits when you see yourself rise to a, a benchmark in the standings? Definitely, and I think that's a, absolutely the case with, with the Phoenix Suns because, number one, they know that – first of all, they know that there's a lot of people rooting for that to fail. Right? Yeah. They're rooting for that situation to not work out because of the way it comes together these days. That They become a villain because of the way they, they put it together so quickly with this level of talent at, at, on their roster with Beal and Durant joining Booker. So people are looking to doubt at every turn the body language we alluded to was not good there for a while it's been significantly better since bradley beal came back it's like they have this belief now that like we we have more talent than anybody else we're going to play and so yeah i do think it's important for a team like this to generate some momentum even if it's the middle of the season to sort of remove themselves 
from the doubt and from the up and downs where it's just a grind of what you're being asked every day by the media and all the guys that are following your team, it gets old. So you yeah. just want to go on a run where everything becomes about forward thinking talk. The conversation is about the damage you're about to do and how good you look rather than constantly asking what's wrong or who's not playing or, or whatever it's going to be an uncertain future. You want to make it look as certain as possible so that the conversation becomes nothing but positive. That yeah. is important to a team like Phoenix. I, I do believe that. Three fantastic games. I can't wait for them tonight, man. And that Nugget 76ers one just carries a little extra narrative to it. Um, that's always a little bit of fun. And, you know, not that I think Yoke wants another MVP. I just don't think he cares about those things. But outplaying Embiid tonight vaults him right back into that conversation. I mean, maybe even to the top of the list. So it's a narrative night in the NBA. It's a, should be make for some fantastic games, and I can't wait to watch them. Legs, another good start to the week. Two shows down. Let's take a little break. We'll be back Thursday. Got it. Can't wait to watch tonight. Everybody, thanks so much for hanging out with us for the full hour today. Do us a favor. Hit that like button as you go out. And don't forget to subscribe on your phone, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We'll see you Thursday. Like the mayor.